Well, we, uh, we're in a year of yes all year long. We've been looking at this idea of yes, our year of yes. And as a reminder, this comes straight out of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, where it says this, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. And so when we say year of yes, we're not saying, hey, go find your yes and do your thing and you can do it all. We're saying all of God's promises are yes. And we spent this year so far, we looked at the promises of God. This last little season, we spent um, a, a significant a chunk of time looking at what does it look like if God's promises, what are those that God actually has individual promises and calling for us too? And what are our personal yeses that God has going on inside of our heart? And today we're kicking off a new series called Faith Stepping Into Yes, because it's one thing to know in your head, go, okay, God, you have this thing for me, that's great. But as Christians, as followers of Christ, all that cool stuff in our head doesn't mean anything unless we actually have faith. And faith is actually stepping out and embracing that yes. Now, whether you've known me for a long time or you've never met me, the sheer fact that I'm standing up here with a microphone as a pastor at church, you can guarantee yourself that I am a man of faith. I'm a man of faith. And this is how I know. A few years ago, I went and bought a car at a dealership and the guy with the big mustache sits across from me and we're filling out all the paperwork and it gets to occupation and I write, youth pastor. And he goes, oh, what a peaceful life you must live. And I'm like, yes, I, I would describe it that way. You know, but it, for people who are not really part of the church, like, as a pastor, I'm a man of the cloth, you know? I always know this because when I go on an airplane and when the conversation turns to, what do you do? Oh, I'm a pastor. Oh, you're a man of faith. So I'm a man of faith. You know it. And, uh, and I stepped out in faith in a huge way. It was a long time ago, but I did. I stepped out in faith. When I was a young lad of 19, I worked at a summer camp, Westminster Woods, and I was on staff there, loving kids, goofing off with them. And my wife, Katie, she was on staff there as well. And this was uh, the early 90s, and, uh, you know, and we're hanging out loving kids, and you, you're trying to love kids and love Jesus, but you take, you know, 50 college kids together, there's going to be some natural attraction. And I had some natural attraction towards Katie. She was super cute, had a little permed hair and uh, denim overalls, and, um, you know, she was, she was all good to go. Me, I was awkward, and, you know, me. So, um, but, but she had a boyfriend at the time. I'm like, okay, classic. That's like my deal. Ben the friend, whatever, no big deal. So I didn't really think much of it, but that Christmas break, there was a reunion and Katie and I reconnected and we started talking and we, you know, had a nice little stroll to the dining hall and we're talking, we're talking. And I'm like, wow, this is kind of cool. Like there's a little chemistry here. And I uh, didn't really think, you know, I'm like, what do we do with this? Anyway, before we left, I said, hey, let's get together uh, before we go back to college. Because I was going to school at UC Santa Barbara. She was going to school up in Chico. And we're like, let's do this. We go on a hot date. We go ice skating and we uh, eat at McDonald's. It's really romantic. And, um, and we had a great time. So she goes up to school to Chico. I go back down to school and we start, um, you know, talking and writing and we kind of are developing this friendship that I'm kind of hoping is going to go somewhere. She finally breaks up with her boyfriend. I'm like, okay, maybe this is the moment. And uh, I go and, uh, and drive up there and, uh, and sure enough, we, we begin this dating relationship. And, uh, and, and when I think of I'm a man of faith, the most, the scariest thing I've ever stepped out into was stepping into a long distance relationship. When you think of what is truly faith, long-distance relationships are it. I mean, I live in UC Santa Barbara. Katie's a cute little girl, Sigma Kappa, woo! And uh, she's hanging out with all these fraternity boys from Chico State, and I'm 10 hours away, right, to say, okay, I'm going to begin to trust you, uh, trust Katie with my heart more and more and more as she's far away doing cool college girl stuff with all these other fraternities, but to trust her 
more and more, right, is truly an act of faith. I couldn't just be, you know, we couldn't be together and I couldn't be a jerk boyfriend and control everything and not have faith. I had to trust her and her character. And faith is really that. It's trusting in that person's character. And if you've been around Katie for any amount of time, you know that she's the kind, most kind, gracious, generous person you know. And because of her character, it was easier to trust her as a long-distance relationship. And so as we uh, grew in friendship and love and we started being like, hey, this is the real deal, um, I took another step of faith. I drove, uh, went to a wedding in Santa Cruz the, in the beginning of my senior year. And I'm like, you know what? I'm this close to Chico. I got the ring in my car. I didn't know when I was going to use it. I'm like, this is it. This is the weekend. I'm tired of everything being out there. I'm going to drive up to Chico. And this is before cell phones. Like I had to call her roommate on, the, on her phone, get a hold of her, and got this whole thing dialed in. So basically her roommate was going to take Katie to this park, which I've only been to once in Chico, but she's going to come to this park, and I was going to meet her there and do this whole romantic deal. But I, I mean, Katie and I, we've talked around about it, right? You, hopefully you don't just ask someone to marry you. You've never talked, but it's still like a big deal. I'm going to drive up there, hope this all works. And so I drive up there. I go to the gazebo, not realizing that it's a homeless encampment. Like, I've only been there like once on a Saturday in the middle of the afternoon. I'm like, this is glorious. Well, at, on a Tuesday night or whenever, Sunday night, in the middle of the night, it's a homeless encampment. I'm like, oh, great. So I have to go and I'm like, hey, homeless guys, guess what? I'm going to do this thing. And they're like, great, we'll sit and watch. So I'm like, okay, great. So they kind of set up shop, you know, have a little picnic watching me. And I'm like in my like, you know, khaki sport coat. I have my boom box with like a tape cassette with our song on it. And I have like a little meal. I have like, I have all perfect. And sure enough, you know, look in the distance. Here comes Kate and her friend with their big like sorority sweatshirts and their jeans with the peg pants. And they're kind of walking down. And all of a sudden her friend takes off and there's Katie and there's me. And we're like, have this moment. She's like, what are you doing here? And then she realizes, oh, this is it right? And all of a sudden, we're going to say, we are going to step into faith. Based on the character of Katie, who she is, I'm like, okay, I'm going to give my heart to you. And the promise of saying, I'm going to be your wife through good and bad, through thick and thin for our whole life, that was her promise to me. And we stepped into that, right? When we were two punk kids, we didn't know what we were getting ourselves into, um, but God's been gracious in that. But when I think I'm a man of faith, when I think what's the most faith, what's the thing I've done that's the most faith, you know, step of faith, it was simply that, a long-distance relationship moving towards engagement. And truthfully, everyone um, has faith. Every single person has faith. Even my atheist friends have faith, because faith is simply this. Faith is trusting in someone's character and stepping out in their promises. Most people, we just have faith in ourselves. We know our own abilities. We know our own strengths, our own weaknesses. We know what we can get away with. And we, so we have faith in ourselves, and we trust our character. We trust who we are, and we can step out based on who we are to get after it. Now, when we crash and burn, because it's us, we're so gracious to ourselves, right? We step out, and we crash and burn. We go, it's just me, and we start over again. That's what we do for ourselves. When other people crash and burn us, we're not as gracious, which is interesting. Um, but you think about it. Love is the ultimate act of faith. You were trusting in someone else's character. You were handing them your heart. You're handing them your life, and you're saying, I am trusting in your promise. So all of us, every single one of us has faith, whether it's in ourselves, whether it's in someone we love, or even if it's just in our resources or abilities. Like every single person in this room is going to have lunch today. None of us are thinking, oh, God, you're going to have to show up for lunch today. We have resources, lunch can happen. There's other things in our lives financially we may need God to show up for, but lunch, you know, we don't need faith for that. We have faith in our resources. So when we think about this series, we're, we're talking about this idea that faith, faith is trusting in not just my character, not just in Kay's character, not just in my resources, 
But faith is trusting in the character of God and stepping into his promises. We say we want to be people of faith. We want to step into yes. And it begins and ends with trusting in the character of God and then stepping out into his promises. So for this whole series, we're going to be spending our time in Hebrews chapter 11. So if you have a Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 1, 2, and 3 today. And then for the rest of our time in the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at these heroes of faith who fall under this umbrella. Okay, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 through 3 says this. Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And then from there, it goes by faith, Abel, and by faith, Enoch. And it just starts listing all these heroes of faith. But let's go back to verse 1. Verse 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And I've been a Christian a long time, and I've been to Christian bookstores a long time, and I think it's a very beautiful verse. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. But I'm not going to lie, for as many Christian bookstores as I've been in, as many times as I've read this passage of Scripture, I still have a hard time getting my head around. What does that mean that faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see? Because I'm kind of simple, I had to kind of simplify it, and this is how it makes sense to me. I believe in Santa Claus, and this is why. I have the confidence in what I hope for. For 40 Christmases, for 40 Christmases, I wake up in the morning on Christmas morning and my house looks different than every other morning. There are presents around a Christmas tree. Every morning for 40 years, there's been presents around a Christmas tree every year. And so what happens is I begin to have this confidence. Like it's Christmas Eve and we have Christmas Eve service. And I'm like, oh, there's this Christmas Eve. It's awesome. And I begin to think, what is it going to look like on Christmas morning? There aren't Christmas presents around our Christmas, when I, around our Christmas tree when I come home from church. But I know and I have this growing hope that in the morning, there's going to be presents there. There's this growing hope of the thing that I've experienced over and over again is going to continue to happen. Right? That's why I say faith is trusting in the character of God. The character of somebody is proven by how they behave day in, day out, in season and out of season. When someone's the same day in, day out, in season and out of season, you begin to trust them. You begin to, what do they say? You begin to put stock in that. Well, every Christmas, there's always presence. So that is confidence in this thing that I hope for. But the assurance about what I don't see is on Christmas morning, the assurance is then stepping into faith. Because when it's Christmas morning, I don't just leave my bed and walk like a zombie to the coffee, turn it on, go back to bed and wait for the coffee to be made because we haven't figured out how to set our timer yet. That's not what I do. Christmas morning is a different thing. I step out in faith and I look immediately to the Christmas tree because I know there's going to be presence there. Right? Faith is the confidence in what we hope for, but not just the confidence, not just the anticipation, not just the, oh, there's this thing that's going to be there, but it's the assurance that it's going to be there when you step out. And that is exactly what faith is. Faith is trusting in the character of God. And because of the character of God, we can then step into that. So it happens at Christmas. Think about this for, uh, for high school kids. You have to take Algebra 1. Why? It's the worst. You have to take biology. Two classes I've hated. I've taken them through, all the way through high school and college. There's no point I've never used any of those ever except now to help my kid while he's taking biology and algebra. 
it's the worst. But there's something about the way that my parents explained it to me. There's something about everyone that went before me that if I took algebra one, if I took biology, then I would get it into college. And by getting into college, I had different opportunities and doors would open for me. And you know what? It's proven to be true. Biology didn't, there was nothing great about biology, but I did it, right? Because the people who I trusted say, you do this and it opens the door. So I take biology. I took the steps to barely pass, pass biology, and then could go and do that. Right? Or you save just a little bit of money here and there for retirement. Why? I don't know, but the very smart people who we trust have said, if you put this much money away for this amount of time, when you retire, you're going to have this money. Right? There's certain things. We all have faith. We all have our faith in something. But for this series, we want to transition from having our faith just into someone or something. But we want to have faith in the living God. We want to trust in His character and begin to step out into faith. But before we can embrace faith, at least for me, I think we need to be, have an honest conversation with yourself and me with you. And that's simply as we have to own our own junk. Faith is a delicate thing because faith is a relational activity. And all of us have relational baggage. And if we are not quiet, if we're not reflective, we don't own what's going on inside of us, then we will never be able to truly live into what God has for us. So we have to own our, own our own junk. And here's the first thing we have to do. One, we have all been let down by others. Every human has been let down by others. You have grace for yourself when you let yourself down, but all of us have been let down by others. And because we're made in the image of God, the way that we're made says something about how God wants to relate with us. We don't get to relate one way with people and then one way with God, right? We don't get to be a jerk to our parents and say, you can't tell me anything and then go, but God, I'm going to submit to you. That's not how it works. We learn to submit to people in authority. We learn to be gracious with each other, right? We learn to, to be connected and trust one another. And then as we do that, we can do that with God. God longs to be in relationship with us, but a lot of us have been wrecked relationally with people. We have relational baggage, and because we've been let down by others, we put up walls around our heart, and we trust ourselves only. But we cannot trust God unless we learn to start tearing down those walls. We have to say, God, if I'm going to trust you, then I need to learn how to trust again. And, and so if that is one of our main ways we're wounded, we have to begin to do some work on that. So all of us have been let down by others. All of us have been let down by God. Now, it's interesting, in my head, I go, no, we've never been let down by God. If you have the right theology, if you understand exactly who God is, if you hedge all of God's promises in just the right way, then we go, God, you've not let us down. But the truth is, that's not how we're wired. We are spoiled brat kids who don't get the whole picture, and it feels like God has abandoned us. God has let us down. God did not come through on what he was going to do. And because of that, it is so hard to trust God in the next thing. And if that is one of your wounds, that God has let you down in such a way, then you will never be able to step out into faith until you do some work and figure out where you missed it. Where did you not understand right about who God is or what's going on? Or what work do you need to do to, to begin to work through this stuff? One of the biggest um, issues of this is that culturally, we have, we're engaged in this type of religion called this. It's called moral therapeutic deism. There was this gigantic study about young people about a decade ago, and they said, explain to me what it means to, to be a Christian. And the, as students were explaining what it meant, which is really just a reflection of their parents, because kids don't know how to filter uh, what they're experiencing. They say, this is how it is. We go, this is what I believe in my head, and then we live a certain way. Kids go, this is how you live. That's what's real. So I think it's actually a very good picture of us as the church. And they put it all together, and they said, oh my goodness, the church doesn't believe in Orthodox Christianity anymore. They believe in this thing called moral therapeutic deism. What that means is 
deism, God. He's this God. He's like kind of this abstract being. And by the moral part, if you do good, God will do good back to you. Right? It's like it's in our culture everywhere. We go, oh, it's karma. Reap what you sow. I mean, it is in every part of our culture. If you do good, good will come back to you. And therapeutic means, right, that God's going to comfort us. He's going to give us a big blanket and a cup of hot cocoa and our life is going to be okay. If you trust God, you will feel good about yourself. And that is the religion that most of us in neutral believe. It's culturally what we believe. So think about all the ways that God can let us down there. I do good. Good doesn't come back to me. God's let me down. Um, My life is really hard and God said he's going to comfort me. And instead of giving me a cup of hot cocoa, I have nothing. Right? And so we have this false view of God. And so because of that, he's going to let us down so much more instead of understanding who he is. So we've been let down by others. We've been let down by God. And here's the last one, which is the worst one. And that's simply this. We want to be in charge. We only want to trust ourselves. Right? Think about in a relationship or in a marriage, right? We have to actually trust the other person. It's now you're doing something linked with somebody else. I mean, once in my whole marriage, I said, no, we're doing it because I'm the man and it did not go well. Right? We have, we are linked up. The very fact of being in a relationship means that we are submitting our needs and our desires to at least partner with somebody else. So with God, God has this thing for us. God longs to be in relationship with us, longs for us to step out in faith with him. But we can't do it if we are holding onto the reins, white knuckling it. We have to learn to let go of the reins. And God is so gracious to us. God is so gracious to us. We don't need to feel like God's sitting in heaven going, I cannot believe this is still happening. I love God. He's so out of time. God knows, right? It's going to take you 1,534 times before you're going to get over this one thing. And you're at 1,000 right now. And you're feeling awful because you're failed 1,000 times. God's like, I know. You have 400 more times. So just fail and get back up because in the 399 more times, we're done with this thing. Like God is so patient to us, but we have to be in the process of holding on, realizing we're holding on, ask for forgiveness, let go and trust, and do that over and over again to build that muscle. So if we're going to be these people, we just got to own our own junk first because faith is a subjective thing. Relationships are subjective, and we have to do some work on that. All right, once we do that work in the decade of counseling and spiritual direction, we're ready to jump in. Here we go. So the first thing is, if we are going to have our first step of faith, the very first way, the way that we have faith, the thing that it starts, it begins and ends with trusting in the character of God. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says, Faith is a confidence in what we hope for, the assurance about what we do not see is what the ancients are commended for. Great. The very next line, by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what we have seen, um, for what is seen was made out sorry, for what is seen was not made out of what is visible. The very first thing before they go into this heroes of faith is that God is God. God is in charge. He made this world. He made you. If you can't get your head around that you're made by him, then it's gonna be really hard to trust him. If all of a sudden you get that God made the earth, made the world, like all the great scientists of the enlightenment, they could do their science because they trusted that the world was full of order. The ancient religions that were like, oh, there's some ocean god who's mad at me now, and that's why there's tidal waves and tsunamis. No, it was the people who believed in God and trusted that God put order to this who could then go out and begin to understand it. So faith begins in the character of God. And what do we mean by the character of God? Well, there's, there's two things that we understand about who God is. One is that God is... Um, is transcendent. That's a really good fancy church world, church word. But what that means is that God is totally 
other than you. If you've ever looked at like the Hubble uh, telescope and you've seen pictures of the universe or you see pictures from Earth from really far away, and you're like, we're just these tiny insignificant specks. Yes, you are a tiny insignificant speck. God just goes, makes that. And you are a tiny insignificant speck. God is totally transcendent. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. He is bigger than we could ever understand. He is holy and totally other. He is a consuming fire. And whenever humans had an opportunity to be close to him, they fell down as if they were dead. And as good evangelicals, we go, oh, it's because there was reverent fear. No, it was the fear of death. God is someone you do not mess with. He is a consuming fire. We don't really like those passages of Scripture, but when you look through Scripture, God That is who God is. The character of God is so transcendent, so other. And we are these tiny little microscopic beings. We are a vapor is what the old King James calls us. We're gone. That's who God is. And at the very same time that God is holy and other and transcendent and a consuming fire, we also have the exact same time this picture that God is imminent, which means that God is right here with us. As Christians, the Holy Spirit is, dwells within us. Those pictures of the scripture is that he is the good shepherd who cares for his sheep. He is our heavenly father. He is our counselor. He is our comforter. That is the picture of God that we have. He is right with us. What's interesting is if you've ever been around someone who's grieved, um, a few years ago there was an awful situation in our student ministry, and uh, I talked to my favorite grief counselor, who's my mother-in-law, who's a grief counselor. And what's interesting is people who are grieving do not need good theology. People who are grieving do not need a good bumper sticker of trust God. He's got this. It's for a purpose. All that does not need it. What's interesting is when people who are grieving, all they need is for you to sit with them. To not even open your mouth, but to simply sit with them and be with them because to not be alone in that moment is how we are designed as humans. That is what we need. That's the only thing humans need in the moment of grief. Not good theology, not bumper stickers, but presence. And how cool that the only thing that God actually promises, besides heaven and eternity, but in this moment, the only thing that God promises us is that he will never leave us or forsake us, that he will be with us until the end of the age, that he will sit down with us. When I read through scripture, they didn't have cool little my daily breads and my utmost first highest, and they didn't, you know, get to have a quiet time before they spent 14 hours in the field. That's not their world. But yet God did amazing things because the Holy Spirit, who is alive and who is active, actually comforts, actually heals, actually um, transforms us. So as God, we think of his character, he's all-powerful, and that is great. He is fully transcendent, and at the same time, he's imminent. So now before um, we can, we can trust, we have, first we have to trust in his character, but then before we can step out into his promises, we have to know what those promises are. That God has promised to forgive us, to redeem us, to heal us, to transform us, to equip us, and to send us. That is what he has promised to do. And we think about what has he really promised us to do? He's promised two things. One, he has promised to adopt us into the family of God. We are no longer foreigners. We are no longer aliens. We are no longer homeless. God sees us. He picks us up and rescues us and brings us into his family. Now in my family, and just like your family, there's probably people who are, there's the smart kid, there's the good looking kid, there's the brilliant kid, there's the trouble kid, right? There's, we all have these little roles that we play. Well, the family of God is no different. We selfishly think I've been adopted into God's family. So now I deserve to be the alpha. I'm the top of the pyramid because I'm in God's family. No, you're just another punk kid isn't part of God's family. You are not the alpha. The, the, the 
The promise is not that you now get the, the rights of the firstborn. No, you get the rights of being seen by the Heavenly Father and adopted into His family, and you are one of the kids. And as one of the kids in the family of God, you have both rights and responsibilities. What that means is as rights, you do. You have access to every spiritual blessing in Christ. That is yours because you are part of the family of Christ. We love that part. We love the rights, the blessings, all of the goodness that God has for us. But we also have responsibilities. We are now heirs with Christ. We take on the family business to be a part of expanding the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. That is our job. It is no longer about me and about my fortune and about my path. We are about submitting to our Father and being a part about His work. We are doing His job and we are apprenticing and working under Him. That is God's promise to us. So when we think about this, that faith is trusting in God's character and stepping into His promises. And we've been talking about this idea of stepping into yes. And so in conclusion, let's talk about that. How in the world do we step into yes? And to step into yes, we have to do three things. One, it begins with knowing God's character. We have to be people who are connected to God through his Holy Spirit and through his word. Because if not, we make God into our own image and God is never going to come through for us in the way that we need him because we're going to have such messed up expectations about who he is and what he wants from us. We have to go old school evangelical church and be people of the word, reading the word day in, day out, and letting God's word shape our understanding of him, shape our understanding of how we experience the world and what we do with our life. And we got to be like with our Pentecostal friends and trust the Holy Spirit and trust that the Holy Spirit is going to move in us and lead us and be a part of us. We have to trust in his character. God is good. He's in control. He created the universe with purpose and intention. God is playing the long game. It is not about you and about this moment. He has a long-term deal that he's inviting us to be part of. All these people in Hebrews 11 never got to experience the end of it. They were faithful in their moment. God's calling us to be faithful in our moment. The second, we have to be reminded of his yeses. What are his yeses? We have access to every blessing in Christ. Sorry, not blessing, right? I don't get a house with a pool. That's not promised to me. What's promised is every spiritual blessing is mine. He promises to be with me, to redeem me, to heal me, to equip me, to use me. Those are the yeses that he promises to me. And finally, to remember your personal yes. Now, my last few minutes here, I'm going to get on my hobby horse a little bit. When you think of your personal yes, it usually has very little to do with the kingdom of God. It has to do with our, yours, and my personal sense of fulfillment, living most fully into who God made me to be. Now, I, like always in my life, God loves just smacking me down. This year I turned 40, and uh, January 1st, I think I preached about having a New Year's resolution. I was going to be king of the world king of the world. I was going to be 40 was the new 20. It was going to kill. I, I, I had the most disciplined three weeks of my life. Killed it. I was living into my yes. I spent time with Jesus. I was disciplined in my food. I was running further than I've ever run. I was the healthiest I've ever been. I got a new pair of pants. I was in it. I was living into my yes. And why would God not want me to be all that I should be for his glory? People look at Ben and go, God is good because look how awesome Ben is. That was, right? Now, if I had to write that as a theology paper, I would never say that out loud. But intuitively, that's where we go. That's where we naturally go. We are going to be the best version of me. And God very graciously let me fall on my knee a day after my birthday and said, no, 
That's not your yes. That is not it. It is not about you in the slightest. It is about me. And what's interesting, all of my yeses were immediately put on hold because of my knee. All of my yeses were put on hold because of my circumstances. And if your yes gets put on hold because of your circumstance, then you know that you are barking up the wrong tree. Because the yes that God has for you is not about circumstances. It is not about your personal fulfillment. Your yes, the yes that we're talking about in our series of yes, is about living into the calling that God has for us to be partners with God for the expansion of the kingdom of God. And your yes is about your tiny little world and your little bit of influence and how to do that there. That is your yes. And now I use my leg as a silly illustration because we all have really big, deeper wounds in where we've screwed that up. So we got to own those things, embrace God's forgiveness. So I'm going to share with you, I've thought a lot, especially as I've been preparing the sermon, well, what really are my yeses? What are my yeses that are not bound by circumstance, but are bound by the character of God? If I'm trusting in the character of God, I'm going to step out into faith. What are those things that God has called me to do? And I found two that are mine. And hopefully as you wrestle, you're going to find yours and you're going to take faith steps into stepping out on that. So one, God has called me to reflect his image as a heavenly father, to be that kind of father for my kid. That is not circumstantially based. If I drive home today and the Lord takes me or my kid, right, that doesn't, that circumstance doesn't matter. If I get to do it for 50 more years, my circumstance doesn't matter. I get to model the goodness and grace and severity to my kids, right? I get to model that to my kids. Now, I'm a flawed and broken human being, so I actually balance that with, I also get a model to my kid that I am a broken and flawed, messed up person desperately in need of God's forgiveness and their forgiveness. Last night, we had a little party. Um, it was a costume party. It made me really nervous and anxious, and so I just ripped my kids' heads off, ripped them off. They just want to know, why are you all dressed up? Like, shut up, kid, because I'm so nervous, right? That's my issue, and it ruined, it wrecked my kid's heart all night. I got home, I tucked him into bed, I could still see that. And even this morning, I had to look down, get down on my knee, sort of, look him eye to eye and say, man, I screwed up. I crushed your heart because of my own dumb stuff, and I need you to forgive me, and I'm sorry. I did not model being the heavenly father, but I modeled being a moving towards godly man, right? So that's one thing, it's not based on experience. The second thing is, my, my actual job, in this case, I'm a pastor, and my vocation is to be a pastor here at Marine Covenant Church. But I really feel like, what's my calling? What's my yes? And my yes is I really feel called by God that one of the things that I bring to the table is to help shepherd the church from a way of understanding ministry and a way of doing life in church that worked really well for a long time, but doesn't work well anymore, into a new and weird culture that's totally different and other, and yet the gospel's still faithful. And I feel like part of my calling is to shepherd the church through that. And if the Lord takes me, or if it takes more than my tenure here, that is not circumstantially based. So for the time that I'm here on earth or at this church, I'm going to faithfully run after those things. So when we say we want you to step into your yes, what is God calling you to do? Not for personal fulfillment, but for his glory, for the expansion of his kingdom, both now and forevermore. Faith, it's trusting in the character of God and then stepping out into his promises. And may God build that more and more into me and into us as church. Amen. Would you stand for the blessing? And then we'll go get some lunch and call quits.
Marine Covenant Church, you have been called by the both transcendent and imminent God to be the family of God, to be the children of God, to be the co-heirs with Jesus Christ. You are called and equipped with all of the rights and responsibilities as children of the King. May you learn to listen to what your yes is, and then may you faithfully step out, trusting in God's character, stepping into his promises, so that God may use you for the expansion of his kingdom in this time and in this place. And may all honor and glory be to our Lord Jesus Christ, both now and forevermore. Amen and amen.